Everything happens for a reason. Normally that reason is that you're stupid and make bad decisions. Yet bad decisions make for good stories. So, here it goes. It's fair to say my hustle peaked years ago. With the benefit of hindsight, after your career tops out, there are a variety of things you can do to mitigate the subsequent fall. Naturally, I did none of those. As I was energetically digging bigger and bigger holes, my good friend Goose was on the up-and-up. Goose originally worked for Google, but they didn't appreciate him running around naked at their corporate retreats and sleeping with important clients. On Wall Street back then, however, these sorts of skills were in high demand. If you walked into a strip club with an account, you needed to know someone like Goose to get waved over by Kid Rock. If you were at SL, then having Mark Cuban tackle one of your crew was just like a shot in the arm. The first firm to recognize Goose's idiosyncratic skill set was a place called Baycrest. Baycrest knew if you want to sell, you have to spend. It's as simple as that. Also, they were shrewd judges of characters and rightly considered that their compliance department was really just a business prevention unit. So they gave Goose wide reign to sign up new accounts and then let them go out to make mistakes. After all, boundless, mindless enthusiasm in your own prospects is how genius is born. The last time I saw Goose was just a few days before he drank himself to death in a New Orleans bar. He had acquired U.S. Open tickets and a reservation at the sort of place where a hamburger is more expensive than a cheeseburger. I've been trying to tell him I was under huge pressure at work and couldn't take a day off, but if you knew Goose, you also knew there's no getting out of plans with him. I know he'll keep calling me until I come over. He'll make me feel guilty. I have to go. Yet even approaching our reservation, I'm indecisive. New management is circling, waiting for us to screw up. I'm sitting at my desk and my AOL is pinging. He's emailing me YouTube videos and texting me worst friend ever over and over. He's relentless. This is ridiculous. Okay, I'll go. I'll go, I'll go, I'll go. Ah, shit, God damn it. As I bail out of the lobby of my building, a beautiful midday sun hits me smack in the face. I didn't realize how much my office had become like a museum. It's very beautiful and very cold, and you're not allowed to touch anything. The relief of getting out of there is palpable. I'm touched by God. I jump on the N train, bail out on 8th, walk west, and find Goose waiting for me with a couple of his girls. I break out in a smile to see him sitting there like that in the sun. How could I have possibly been expected to handle work on a day like this? Then I take my seat, and Goose breaks off his game to greet me. Gummy bear? They've been sitting in my pocket. They're really warm and soft. As a sign of commitment to a full day's mayhem, I take two and ask him what he had in store. Goose tells me the question isn't what we're going to do. The question is, what aren't we going to do? Now, I know Goose doesn't actually have a plan, just poor impulse control. And that's fine with me. We make small talk about my hedge fund so his firm can pick up the tab. In a nutshell, I am dying. I hate my boss. The man could squash my nuts into oblivion. I'm veering between obstinance and obsequiousness, but I've never been very good at the latter. Besides, you can't respect someone who kisses your ass. It just doesn't work. With his unusual pithiness, Goose waves away my complaints, says I'm not dying, I just can't think of anything good to do. Then the gummy bears kicked in and washed my concerns away. We went to a couple more bars before a car picks us up. At the U.S. Open, we watched Djokovic save two match points against Federer on his way to his first Grand Slam. No one was louder than Goose. 
The aftermath of a legendary sports match is hard to describe, almost a religious experience. Djokovic and the coke he's done in the bathroom have Goose bouncing up and down as we wait for someone to take us back to the city, and I have to stop him from dry-humping the driver when she turns up. It's in the car that Goose turns to me and says he has a belated birthday present, then pulls out a wooden device with a little crank in it. It's known as a magic flight box. Geppetto would have invented this if he was a stoner. It's a brand new way to do drugs. Back then, we always smoked weed. Unless, of course, we got blackout drunk and forgot to smoke weed. We pack the flight box with some sativa, and Goose shows me how the battery heats it up. And then together we do one of the first vapor hits in New York City. I'm on my eighth or so beer and fourth gummy, and I'm laughing as Goose recalls doing the lines of coke off his seat. When the flight box hits, I'm suddenly reminded about an outstanding invite from CLSA to the annual Glenview Casino Night. I tell Goose there might be big names there, but more importantly, we can waltz right in and, who knows, maybe he can make an impression on some of the traders. This event turned out to be a big deal. Wall Street loves to gamble, but it was also a throwback to an entire culture that had been driven underground since a high-profile murder at a poker club a few years before. The Mayfair, Straddle, Diamond Club, Fairview, Genoa, all these places had passed on, but there was the veneer of that tradition if sanitized as goodwill by the approval of the authorities. The security guards eye us warily as we check in at the Edison Ballroom. One of them trails us as I look for my CLSA sales trader, and I begin to struggle a little under the pressure of too many chemicals. I begin to stumble on my thoughts, wonder whether the act of walking is just a controlled fall. Then it dawns on me. I'm going to lose my mind and wipe out, and I wonder whether it will be disturbingly hilarious or hilariously disturbing when I do. Not Goose, though. His antics have really kicked him into a good place. Happy as a dog with two dicks. He's licking the glass in the elevator and making obscene gestures with his hands at the security guard. When I see this, I tell him he's gone too far. We're going to get busted. Goose meets the guard's eyes and says, A, you can never go too far. B, if I'm going to get busted, it is not going to be by a guy like that. This breaks the spell, and I remember my role in this story. I'm the client. I tell myself, this should be my night. Finally, some Wall Street salesmen recognize me and begin circling. There's a couple of customer laughs at our moronic commentary. Suddenly, we want drinks and girls and more drugs and maybe a card game. Sales scatter away with their marching orders. The way the Glenview charity worked was whatever your ticket or donation was, that's how many fake chips you'd get to play. We had a couple of door entry tickets from CLSA. They cost maybe 300 each. The person next to us might have donated 50000 so there's no way of winning more than a couple of hands. Any of these guys can just scare you out of the game. We're standing around waiting for a spot when a Glenview trader comes by, hugs Goose, and tells us he's decided to bag the event for one of his more expensive habits. Did we want some chips? Now this guy was a Wall Street legend got his start in the back office at Omega, and was everything you'd expect, except the fact he wasn't a douchebag. We thank him and take the chips. The best table we can play at has executives from hedge funds that ran millions. Not billions, but I could barely play snap. Not Goose. A succession of people leave him handfuls of chips, and suddenly he's on a streak. Three hours later, he's at the final couple of tables sitting across from Larry Robbins. Now that much high-stakes poker would exhaust anyone. But Goose has a gleam in his eye, and he's not going to be stopped. 
He decides he needs a smoke break, though, and takes the magic flight box to the bathroom for a couple of hits. As he sits back down, the vape rubs up against one of the spare batteries, and this sets off a chemical reaction. The batteries get hotter and hotter, and when he shifts his leg uncomfortably, it suddenly melts onto his ball sack. Here's where Goose goes berserk. Goose screams like a whore in church. He heaves the table over, sending chips everywhere, and rips the flight box out of his trousers. It clatters along the floor towards a circling waitress who leans down to pick it up, and Goose bowls her over to stop her from burning her hand. Then security totally freaks out and are all over us. We get pulled into a room out back, and in my addled state, I think we're going to get the hammer. But only the meek get pinched. The bold survive. Security scream at us for a while, photograph everyone's ID, and kick us out. It was all a little childish and stupid, but then again, so was Wall Street. The rest of the night was a blur. Lotus, Bungalow 8, Tenjun, The Box, One Oak, Provocateur, Avenue. At one or another of those was the last time I saw my friend. You're in a story whether you know it or not. This is a concept you can think about for a year and still not wrap your head around properly. However, to some extent, the life that you find yourself living is not entirely yours. Several of Goose's family died early with heart issues, so his story was always going to have a tragic end. But he devoted his limited years to setting the world up around him so that it was the best it could possibly be for himself and his friends. He knew where he was, he knew who he wanted to be with, and where he wanted to go. Now, Goose was never playing the sort of three-dimensional chess people like to ascribe to successful life choices. More often than not, he was just eating the pieces. Certainly when it came to women, he was like a U-boat captain, focused on sinking as much tonnage as possible. And when it came to drinking and drugs, well, a little water is a drink, but a lot of water is a shipwreck when you have a family history like his. That said, the business of life is simply the acquisition of memories. That's all there is. By that measure, he was a man in full. The morning after our big day out, a salesman from Colin Stewart invited me to play golf at Sleepy Hollow. I have an important meeting with my boss. I know I shouldn't go. But it's sunny outside. Fuck it. <laughs>